Absolutely, man. Thanks so much. There is a Chick-fil-A card. We have one. Thanks so much, John. Um, how you doing, Hope? Good, good, good. Uh, my name is Steve. In case you don't know me, I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at Hope Church, along with uh, five other um, amazing elders, and it's just a joy to serve you all tonight. Man, what an incredible, incredible time that we've already had. Um, I'm just um, really full just to hear y'all's voices and hear in the church worship. That was an incredible time, Michael and Adam, and just thank you so much for leading us. Um, just really feel like the Spirit of God is, is, is moving here. Happy Palm Sunday. Um, as you know, this is the start of Easter week, and for us, our family is going through that actual biggest storybook Bible that John just talked a little bit about. And it's really just a great story if, um, to be able to model to our kids if really this is the greatest story, we really want to just really um, just uh, just implant it in the in the hearts of our kids, um, and just to tell them about this story this week. Had a great conversation with Timber, and um, we were just talking about how um, it's just crazy to see that at the beginning of the Resurrection Week, um, that the Jewish people were um, lauding and adoring Jesus. And then by the end of Friday, they wanted to kill him and crucify him. And just a really reflection, you know, of just uh, how much we need Christ. And because that's all of our hearts, whether we were there or we're not. Obviously, we're not there, but all of us have that capacity of sin. And um, that's just something that um, we just really want to step into this week. So I just really want to encourage you uh, just to be able to, to walk through the story um, Resurrection Sunday, um, and, uh, and especially the events leading up um, to Good Friday. Um, just want to really uh, just pray um, us in as we um, dive into Ephesians. As you remember, our vision for Ephesians is simply that there is more. There is more that God has for us. There is, God has, is uniting a new community and a new creation through him, and he is doing that right now in a church that doesn't have it all together, um, and he did that first through a not-so-model apostle, Paul, and then he's also did it through the a not-so-model community, which is the church at Ephesus, and he's also inviting us into more, even when we're not um, the model community, and so I uh, just really want to encourage us as we are asking and praying. We've already seen God do so much already. Um, it was just a great night just for the training night and just to see all that God did through the church and just through the testimonies we are hearing. It is just um, just, just a really blessing, and uh, God is really moving. So I just really want to thank God and praise God and pray that if this is the beginning, I'm asking God, God, will you do still more? So let me, let me pray us in as we get into God's word. Father, thank you that you are an amazing God. And Father, we worship you, God, for all that this week and all the significance that is packed into this one week. Lord, we look at the scriptures and we see that you didn't say a lot about Jesus' childhood. You didn't say a lot about Jesus' teenage years. And even in his 20s, up to his public ministry, there wasn't really anything. But we know that you had put so much into the last week 
of Jesus's life. So Lord, we ask that you would fill us with a holy awe and a holy weight of Jesus, what you did to redeem us. And God, how you engineered your plan, Spirit of God, how you applied it to our hearts. God, make us even more in awe of you, Lord, that we would not um, come away um, unchanged, but we would come away worshiping you. God, thank you so much. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, I was uh, really just so in, um, just so filled with joy, and it was just of something that, um, if you, if I talk about it, it's going to seem a little, um, little. But it was at uh, we've spent uh, about about a month in Ezra's baseball season, and um, their team has done nothing but lose, and so they have a completely losing record. Um, Ezra has been like zero for 20 at the plates, and it's just been a struggle um, just for him to get, you know, just get a meat on the, on the ball. And um, it's, just, it's just so hard as a dad, as you're watching this, him swinging and a miss, swinging and a miss, and swinging and a miss, until he's the only kid on his team that has not hit a baseball um, in, in, in regular season play until last Saturday, yesterday. Um, and, and I don't know why the timing of that was. <laughs> I don't know why it was just because of this, but it was just that moment. I just had a sense that, man, he's going to hit one today. And that first time through, he actually hit a foul ball, and then he struck out, and I was like, oh, man, I hope he gets another time. He goes up, and then he, he whiffs a couple times, two strikes on him, first and second, two, uh, two outs, and he swings and he hits one. And uh, he's so surprised that he hit one, he forgot, he almost forgot to run. And, uh, and so he was running around, and I was just like, yeah, great, awesome, I'm so, good job, Ezra. And, um, and then he got tagged out, because uh, uh, they went, went for second, um, or he went for second, but uh, he was run after. He, he just got ran after by another eighth grader, or eight, eight-year-old that was like a head size taller than him, and, and tagged him out. But it was all good, because he got two runs in. And it was just really overwhelming for me of like, wow, awesome, so glad to see Ezra just, um, just to get that hit. And we were just all just overcome with excitement. And that's just a, a small, maybe even just a very, very inadequate glimpse of how the Father feels about you today. I don't know when was the last time you were overwhelmed by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Could have been last Thursday, could have been yesterday. Maybe a time which you was so far, far long ago that you couldn't even remember, but this is how God sees you. And this is how God saw Paul because Paul was not in a teaching mode right now. He was in a worship mode. And uh, he was just in this sense, in the Spirit, with just praising God and filled with him. And this is, I think, we're, what we're called to approach Ephesians 1 the same way. And so whatever 
thing that you came in today, whatever preconceptions or uh, thoughts or ideas that you had about Ephesians 1, I just pray that it would be taken out and you would just be able to see and fill this time. That, that, that Paul did not start his time with teaching. This time is, was full of worshiping. And these 201 words, what we see here, just explodes our idea of who God is. Paul blesses God, but in reality, his blessing is just a meager, meager um, amount in which God has literally blessed us. God has blessed us in the, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is blessing on a whole new level. F.R. Barry, commentator, he calls this passage a swirl of words with a storm of thought behind them. In the same way, I encourage us that as we start this time that we would just be able to, um, to know that God invites us to worship him and hopefully this from start and end as we'll have some time just to, just to sit in the presence of the Lord God, just to be able to, to bless him and, and worship him. And so let's go ahead and take a look, let's go ahead and take a look in, in God's word. We're going to see these three spiritual blessings. And the first one is this, that we are lavishly loved. Look with me in verses three through six. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. And so what we see here is a very key, a key word, and that word is blessing. And it's in the verb form, it's in the noun form, but Paul starts off with this word, blessed be the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, eulogesas, us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, eulogia, in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of this, of this world. And skipping down to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed or ekeratosin us in the beloved, literally graced us. And so this word is just repeated four times as if just to bring the fullness of blessing to us. God did not, or Paul did not, was not led in the spirit to use generous although that's good. He did not, was not led to the word good, although that, that is, that's good. But he was led to be used of blessed or blessed. And it starts even from the beginning in which God, his eternal plan started and ended with blessing, even down to which God had created man, and he saw that it was good. He pronounced goodness because God was, is the one that defines goodness. Two, even in the garden when they fell and they disobeyed God, yet 
God did not kill them, but he gave them clothing. And then even to the calling of Abram, that all the nations would be blessed through him. All the way to the New Testament where Jesus talked about blessing, about the kingdom of God coming in in power and fullness, breaking in to contested space and coming in to show his power over death, over sin, and over Satan through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus came with the power of uh, the Almighty with them, bringing healings and miracles and um, just powerful works demonstrating the power and the blessedness of being in him. To Jesus saying, blessed are you for the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven all the way to the very end in which God blesses us so that we can bless him in which all of creation says all glory and power and praise and blessing to Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain. This is showing the fullness of the blessedness of God. In other words, we're given a front door to who God is. As Eugene Peterson says, what God does comes out of who God is. And if God is the one whom all blessings flow, what is this saying about God? It means that his blessings are infinitely an overflow of who he is. It means that as we start here, we cannot divide God. He is one, he is God in the fullest blessedness and form of the, of the word. And Paul is not pointing to what God does as much as he's pointing to who God is. And then he also points to their, not only who he is, but he points to who they are. A lot of times we see this in division. We see it temporarily. We see God the Father, first three verses, and the next we see God the Son, then we see God the Spirit, closing out the verses, but I love us to see the community of the Godhead here. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that, how interesting and how um, it might have st- struck peoples um, in the Ephesus a little bit, a little bit weird, a little bit different? The father and the son relationship is absolutely vital. Before the universe began, before you were even a speck on the horizon, before you ever breathed the breath, God was. God existed in just this eternal, perfect blessedness. And our minds struggle to think of what that looks like. But think about that. No arguments behind closed doors. No talking behind each other's backs. No misperceptions. Just full-on praise and love and joy that was just shared among the triune God. And the triune God was just loving one another. There was no brokenness in their fellowship. It was like literally in an one, one worship service in which 
The father is delighting in his son, and the son is delighting in his father, and the spirit of God is not feeling left out, but he is he's magnifying the father and the son. And you just get a picture of this in John chapter 17, 20 through 21, which is a real founding verse in our vision. Jesus is praying here, the high priestly prayer, and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God is pulling back the curtain, and he's showing us who he is. He's saying, I'm just not a God who just does things for you. I'm a God who wants to invite you into who I am. And I want you to see the, the love and the fellowship and the joy that we have, even before the foundations of the world. And Paul is saying that if that wasn't there, forget about the gospel, forget about the resurrection story. If the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are not in perfect unity, you can kiss all that goodbye. Because their relationship was the grounds for everything that comes next, choosing, predestining, adopting, redeeming, and securing. We are blessed because God and the Father has an eternal love for the Son of God that is unparalleled to anything that we have on earth. And everything, even the, everything that he has for us is just an overflow of that love. And these are what Paul says as spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. God's not saying, I'm going to give you, you know, some spiritual blessings that's really tangible. I'm going to give you, uh, um, I'm just going to give you everything your heart desires. And sometimes God does um, allow, out of his goodness and his sovereignty, he allows us to do this. But the idea here is that this, these blessings are invisible, but yet they are intangible, but yet they are coming straight from the Father's heart. Forgiveness, joy, peace, patience, goodness, the presence of God. That is all coming from him. And this is the context in which Paul just dives into, and he just... He's just teaching and, and teaching us through worship. And he's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in which everything flows and even all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. And I, I don't want to see this as an argument. Most of the time, as I've preached this, I've seen it more as here's where the scripture teaches and I come up and with five points just to nail down this argument. But just I would love for you to see this in a, in a heart of worship. Election is at the heart of who God is. Most of the time we have a sterilized view of election. But what we see here is that the word chose is actually coming out of a warmth, a delight, out of his love for one another, but also his love for us. God's delight was rooted in his free and gracious decision that he made together as the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. So when you look at this text, his election is rooted 
in, um, in words that speak of his lavish love for us. Um, in love, he predestined us for adoption. We're gonna talk about that later through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. Even just who he is and who the persons of the Godhead is is wrapped up in that word, beloved. And so far from being a random choice, God's choice was rooted in his lavish delight. And I think that's just such a, incredible word to us. You know, it's not like how it happened for many of us who didn't happen to be the sportiest or the best kid at school. Um, Usually, especially in basketball, the tallest, the fastest, the most athletic, or maybe the biggest guys would get chosen first. Um, And then there was me. (laughs) And there was between me and that other guy. Um, You know, the other guy that probably wouldn't be chosen either. And so I got chosen since I was the last one left because literally the guys probably felt really sorry for me. And, and so I want us to see that that is not the what God is, is, is putting it when he, when he says that he chose us. He just didn't feel sorry for us. He didn't feel like, okay, well, that's just, okay, well, I'll just have to do that because I have to. It says that God and the Father and the Holy Spirit chose you out of the deep foundations of the world before that was even done. And there was nothing you can add to that conversation. You were, but yet you are a part of this eternal conversation between the persons of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that said, I want this guy, or I want this girl. And I've made up my mind that I'm going to choose him. And the Father and the Spirit and the Son there was a time in which they, as they were existing in community, as they were existing in relationship, that they were probably conversing in heaven and they spoke over you in love and affection. And before God fashioned this world with his fingertips, before one drop of water was poured out onto the ocean, before even one, uh, one, one mountain landscape was laid out by God, God formed in his mind a picture of you. Not only that, he thought of you, and the thoughts of you would be like the amounts of sand in every beach in the world. It even says in Zephaniah 3 that he sings over you. Can you imagine God singing over you? And now we know that the Spirit intercedes for us. He is still in conversation. And all throughout eternity, they are saying and singing. They're just singing over you, and they're saying, Jason is my beloved son. Lori is my beloved daughter, and I sing over her, and I remember even the time in which before the world began, I was singing over her. I was loving her. And I knew that I would go and stop at nothing, even break heaven and earth so that I would be called her Savior. That is the grounds of his love for you. It's lavish love. And the reality of that is is even more lavish when you think about it. Look at uh, verse 5, that the, the grounds of his choosing is out of his 
favor, out of his decision, out of his election of you. But look in verse 5. He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You are called for worship. And before that, it says that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so the reality is that if we were called to be that, if that was our purpose, then that meant that we were not before. We were unholy and blameworthy. Our works were shot through with sin and contained something in which needed to be forgiven. And we deserved his just judgment. Now, I don't know if there's some of you, and I've, I've been... I've walked through these questions of why would God choose some of us and not others, and we complain that that's not fair, and about what about those who were not chosen, and yet the fairness is not the category that we are dealing with. If we were all going by fairness and justice system, we'd all, and God would be just in not choosing any of us. He would not be considered unloving if we got the full force of the penalty for our sins. And the fact that God would choose any of us is really the one that gets me. Because I think in my mind, what gives God glory? And I think about it like, God, I didn't do anything to make you love me. I didn't do anything to make you choose me. I didn't do anything to, to, to earn your favor. God, it does not make sense. Why would you choose me? Why would you do that and not and pass over? others. And it just, I have nothing to give you, God. And God says, exactly. That's why it's out of my lavish love for you. And that's just, should just remove so much pride in us and just produce such a deep humility and even bring in a sense that, yes, God, we chosen before the foundations of the world. It does not mean that I'm not called to just do whatever I want, and, but yet, God, I'm called to be holy and blameless before you. Lord, I want, to, I want to know more of that love. I want to be called, and I want to walk in your ways, and I want to love you, and I want to be holy and blameless before you. But God, I need your help, and I need your spirit to do that. Just like you saved me, God, bring me even to a deeper sense of, the, of humility. And that's why I love what Paul says next. You can't, see adoption, you can't see election without adoption. Adoption is just an incredible glimpse of our Father's heart. Look at verse 5. It says that we are predestined to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And again, this, this refers back to our main theme um, in Ephesians. If you want to go back to that, um, you can. But just our main theme is that God is in the process of uniting something that was divided. Because of our sin, there was a dislocation between God and man. Creation was alienated from its creator. And that we were alone in our sin, um, as Renia talked about early on in our vision series. And also we were sinful. We were apart from God in our sins. We deserved his just judgment. And yet, Nothing captures what God and who God is like than the picture of adoption. Those who are being adopted typically have no home, have no family, no privileged identity, and yet God looked at us as spiritual orphans, and he loved us. 
And he loved us so much that he just didn't stay in his love, but he adopted us. See, adoption doesn't happen because the adoptee had something to give. No, that was due in part to the gracious initiative of the, the people who adopted them. And when you look at um, Paul and his context, this is a special designation that he uses. And so when we take a look a, a little bit more at it, it seems like he viewed adoption from the Roman law. Um, anyone who has gone through adoption probably knows that it could be a really long, messy, drawn-out legal process. But ultimately, after the end of that process, it would culminate in the father presenting to the, to the Roman authorities, hey, this is my son. And it was a radical change. It severed all ties before and uh, in, in, in his old life. It, su it severed every obligation. It severed every debt. It severed every past family issue. And it wasn't a change in nature, right? Like, it, it wouldn't erase the memory, but in a sense, it would change their status. And when the adoption was complete, when it was culminated before, coming before the Roman authorities and saying, that there is my son. There was no turning back. There was no going back to the way the old life was. Adoptions like that, it's an irreversible declaration that God makes out about us that says, you formerly were unwanted, but you are wanted. You formerly were defined by your past, but you are defined by my present love for you. You were formerly second-class children, but you are first-class sons and daughters. You have open access to his presence. You can receive my love. I just want us to picture that God the Father speaking that over us when he cried out, it is finished on the cross. He spoke a better word and he spoke a word of adoption over you. He says, it is finished. Your old life is gone. Your past is wiped away. Your sins removed as far as the east is from the west. Because I love you and you are my son and I'm lifting up my son to die that death that, that, that you should have been in. But now, with the resurrected Savior, with Jesus being lifted up, in that I'm saying you are my son and you are my daughter. That ruptured creation, I'm making, I'm drawing you near and I'm making all of creation whole. And I'm making a new community of sinners who are separated into people who are newly bought as sons and daughters of Christ. And I'm putting them into this beautiful community called the church. And I want them to live in a way that brings honor and glory and holiness and blamelessness before me so that all the world may know through the picture of the brokenness made whole in the new, new church and in the, in the community that I am doing the same thing in eternity, in the heavens and in the earth. I'm uniting everybody and everything under Jesus and under my banner. I don't know what it means to be adopted. Um, this is probably a, something that maybe many of you may 
have experiences or maybe you are currently um, are adopted or you are adopting or you're praying through it. Um, um, I just know that it, adoption is in my lineage. My grandfather um, on my father's side was actually adopted. And to some, some extent, I think the Lord has brought that as a grace in my heart of, of just reminding me that, hey, you're, you don't know the full force of adoption. But there's a reason why you are standing here today. And your name is Stephen Liu. It's because somebody adopted your grandfather, called him out of loneliness, despair, maybe of a, of a family that didn't want him, and called him to be a part of a family and of your family. And every single time I just, whenever I see people who are adopting whenever I see people who are taking on kids, whenever I hear stories of adoption, it just, it breaks something in me. And it's just because I, I know that I, that's our hearts, or that, that's our experience. We've been adopted by the Father. And we're lavishly loved by a God who said, I'm going to take everything, even my own son, because I love you, I don't, I love you, I know you, and I'm going to adopt you and bring you in. It's just such a beautiful picture of the fatherhood of God. J.I. Packer writes, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Just in your hearts, would you just worship God right now just for not only choosing you, but, uh, but also adopting you? If you just would do that right now. Well, we're not only lavishly loved, but we're also lavishly graced. And when you read this passage, you just see this repeated two words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth.
In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of glory, of his glory. What we see literally here is through this picture of redemption, as you know, it is the picture of redemption comes from the slave trade in the agricultural world. Um, in the Roman time, in the Roman Empire, there were probably over 60 million slaves um, and they were just bought and sold like pieces of furniture. And to redeem such slaves is to pay the purchase price in order to release them into slavery. And a man would pay just an exorbitant price to set them free. The question is not one in which does God condone slavery. Paul is just using something that was very central and very visceral in uh, the times of the Ephesus church. And he's asking this question. What would make you want to pay the purchase price to set slaves free. Usually you would not have any money to your name as a slave. You would be of no use uh, to somebody outside of their work, what they can do for you. And literally that's what Jesus Christ did to redeem us. In order to set us free from the law of sin and death, he had to become sin for us and die for us in our place. And the price of it was literally giving up his life and pouring out his blood. Where sin needed to be atoned for. You think back into the Jewish day of atonement. The high priest would take two goats. He would slaughter the first <clears throat> and then sprinkle its blood before God on the, mercy, on the seat of mercy. Then he would confess Israel's sins on the second live goat. And then after praying over that, it would be thrust into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And that is the picture of which, as we think about Jesus reconciling a new community of people, bringing them back from slavery, he's forgiven them. Those sins vanishes without a trace, just like that goat. And that's who we are. We're not defined by the sin of our past lives. We're not defined by the, the mistakes and the failures of our old life. We are defined by the fact that God has removed every sin and every pain, every guilt, and every struggle, and he's put it on Jesus Christ to the end in which all of existence will be singing one praise song to the God of lavish grace. Just what we were singing. Oh, praise uh, oh, praise the name of the Lord Most High. This word, um, lavish, literally means to drench and to overflow. And I'm just picturing that grace is literally just drenching us in this moment. And one day, God's going to drench all of humanity and all of creation um, under Christ. He's going to bring a new community. He's going to bring restoration. He'll drench all of creation. He's going to bring both Jew and Gentile into one community. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's already crowned his son, King, and give him the right to rule, will be the one name in which we'll be praying and praising God for. And this is the mystery, the sacred mystery 
of the gospel. And this is not that God had this dreadful secret that he was just not wanting to take out and to leak out, but this is just saying God has a powerful mystery in which he wanted us in on that story. And even so much more, when you see that God has led us in onto a conversation that took place in eternity, and then he's lavished us with grace in Jesus Christ to redeem us into that story. And, and lastly, as we look at verses 11 through 14, we see that he's redeemed us and he's made us eternally secure. Paul now goes from blessing in the heavenly places in Christ to uniting all heavens and earth with Christ. And he's saying that the ones that he has called out the ones that he has adopted, the ones that he has redeemed through Jesus Christ with a lavish grace. He has literally drenched it onto us. And as that grace is a picture of all of creation and all of humanity, of what's going to happen, the Father has also handed over to his Son the people in eternity past that he's going to keep. And now here we see that the Father and Son are giving it to the Spirit of God and saying, hey, I'm going to give it to the Spirit, and he is going to be your guarantee. He's going to be your seal. That picture is just a king in which he has a signet uh, ring, and whenever it is coming out with some kind of kingly decree, he would stamp his seal of his ring onto the wax, hot wax, onto a piece of paper, a thragos, which is, represents and guarantees that that which he said would come to place. And that is the word in which you see in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit. <laughs> I just love that. The Father has given us to his Son. The Son has given us to the Spirit. He is guaranteeing your salvation, your security, starting from with the creation until you heard the word of the truth, the gospel, believe in him, you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen? Come on. I'm, I'm just preaching a fire hydrant here. This is just what Paul says. Um, amen? Amen. And I'm just praying that God would just just pray that God would just remember um, that we would remember this is how much God loves you. And so as the worship team comes up, I just want to invite us to just spend some time And as we started off worshiping and praising, I don't want to just keep on, um, um, I just want to stop and and just let the Spirit of God, through the teaching of God's Word, that would overflow in the worship um, of His church and what God has for you, just to drench this room. Um, Ephesians is just really an affront to our pride. When we think we have it all together, we kind of look at Ephesians, they didn't have it all together. They lost their first love. They were a fighting church. They were a disunified church. They needed Timothy to come in there. 
um, and just to set the record straight. And honestly, that's kind of like us. <laughs> we don't have it all together. In fact, you may have come in here and this was too much for you. This was, you were coming in here with a lot of anger. You were coming in here with a lot of burdens. And yet God is saying to you that you don't need to perform. You don't need to, in a sense, do anything other than receive my love for you today. Ephesians 1 through 14 is just saying God is gracious. He loves us, loves us, loves us. And he's done all this without any imperative, without any action points. And so I just want to lead us in a time in which we get to sit some time in the presence of God. I just want to invite you to close your eyes or spend some time coming before God. God, will you push back the enemy even now? And God, just speak your words of lavish love to us. First thing I want you to imagine is, I would love for you to imagine as Paul takes us back to eternity past, before the world even was started. But there was an eternal conversation in which God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had about you. And if you were to imagine what he, what they would say, what would they say about you? What did they say about you? And I just want to invite you to let the Lord God maybe just give you a preview of what he was speaking over you even before you even existed. Let it just stir your heart in praise and spend some time now. Maybe there's somebody who has been dealing with shame. I feel like that in that conversation that God had, maybe God is speaking into to that and saying, I'm going to deliver. I'm going to show my gracious and lavish love. And despite their past and despite what they have walked into, I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to wipe all their shame away.
Maybe some of us have never felt the love of our parents. Maybe we never even knew our parents. I feel like the Lord just wants to speak a word over you. Say, God, the Father loves you and sees you. And he grieves over the fact that you haven't had and known your family. And yet at the same time, God says, I am your father. I've redeemed you. God speaks to the purposeless in this room. You're feeling a lack of purpose and feeling just a struggle, just kind of going day to day. And the Spirit of God just speaks over you and says, you are my son and my daughter and have bought you from the beginning, I've redeemed you for holiness and to be blameless before me. And so will you just let the Spirit of God just, just speak to you in these moments? And may we just go out just praising who he is and praising God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we wouldn't be left here just taught, but we would be left here praising you. And if the Lord has been speaking to you and if you need prayer, we just invite you to go to the four corners of the room. Grab somebody. Don't leave here without prayer. It's another way of God speaking to us and loving us. just want to invite you to come and pray. And as we continue to do that, let's pray over the blessings. Just drench yourself in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and just thank him for the every spiritual blessing in Christ. As we end what we'll be doing in the beginning of eternity, worshiping God for his glorious grace.